You're listening to the Rua Space Podcast. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Rua Space Podcast, where we look to make space for the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in our everyday lives. I'm Phil, and I'm really excited that you've joined us for this really special episode. I think it is timely, and I think it is needed in light of everything we are facing in the United States and around the world. In light of the events around the killing of George Floyd, the protests, the systemic issues that we are uh, facing and working through as a culture, I think it's important here at Rua Space where we talk about making space for the spirit and for breath, that same word ruach, We have to care about what God cares about, because if we're making space for God in our lives, then we're asking for God to put in a heart inside of us that is similar to God's. And God cares about justice. God cares about overcoming oppression. And so in today's episode, we're joined by Chris Griffith, an African-American pastor of Rhythm Church, a worship leader, and a voice that is going to bring us both challenge and encouragement in this episode. Now, I know this is a tough uh, conversation. This is a tough issue. There's a lot of feelings about it. There's a lot of opinions. But I invite you to hear what he is saying well, to really open to understand, not just to hear the physical vibrations of his voice, but really listen to what he's saying and see what might the Holy Spirit be challenging you with? What might the Spirit be encouraging you with? How can you learn from this? And what does this mean for your life as you make space for God and for the others? So friends, thank you again for being with us. I pray that this episode is a blessing to you and can help you take a step forward in your journey of following in the footsteps of Jesus. Chris, welcome to the Real Space Podcast. Thanks, man. I appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, the first thing I got to ask you, and this is maybe the most important thing, is with the NBA season returning, will the Lakers win the championship this year? They will. They will. I think LeBron is primed. I think he has had some rest. I think the team has uh, had some time to gel and build the chemistry. Um, Yeah, I think they're I think they're going to take it, man. You know, that's how I knew I liked you from the beginning, man. Both. (laughs) As soon as you said Lakers fan, you had me. Awesome. (laughs) So. You know, here at Rua Space, um, many people know this, and for some who may be listening for the first time, our name is Rua Space, which comes from the Hebrew word ruach, which means spirit. And so we talk about making space for the spirit. But that same word in Hebrew is the word for breath. And so we're talking in this whole ministry about making space for breath. And in a time when people are saying, I can't breathe, we thought, my goodness, we have got to talk about the importance of breath and we need to dive into those who are not able to breathe on many different levels, the injustice that's occurring. And so, you know, I know you and I, and I think that I, I've heard you speak a number of times and I think there's just a lot that you can bring to our audience around this. So when you first saw some of these videos and heard some of the things going on, what did you feel? What was your experience? Yeah. Um, 
It was a lot. I think in this whole time and in this whole space we find ourselves in, there have been many moments where I've been just overwhelmed. I've felt different emotions. I've felt the emotion of despair. I've felt the emotion of anger. And I think with all of this, you know, I've really tried to practice this thing of uh, empathy, to be honest, where I'm, you know, really putting myself in other people's shoes. Now, with everything that's happened um, with the whole George Floyd situation and some of these other things that have happened, it's really easy for me to put myself in those people's shoes because um, when they, they happen, I immediately go to, wow, that could have been me. And it, it brings me to a really scary place. And so I try to just empathize, but not even necessarily just uh, with those people, but even people kind of, to be honest, on the other side, like, you know, families and uh, loved ones, like just all of that, you know, it's just, there's a lot of people affected by these things. And so uh, it's overwhelming, to be honest, when you think about it all. And um, yeah, I think right now is a really important time to talk about this. No doubt. I, I know that for many who saw the video, no matter your experience, no matter where you are in life, I don't think anyone could see what happened to George Floyd and not have some sort of tears come to your eyes or some sort of response. And for me, I just go to, man, what if that was, you know, not just like, and maybe, you know, for me, now that I have two young boys, maybe this is where my mental shift is. But I, I don't even think of me. I think of what if I saw and that was my child that I saw in there. You know what I mean? I'd rather it be me than my child. Right. Um, yeah. But the, 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 the unfortunate thing is because of my situation in life, that is unlikely to happen to me, it could, right? But it's it's not as likely. And so I think it's important as Christians that we understand that things like justice, that is a spiritual discipline. That is how we make space for breath. And there's obviously a lot of conversations going on right now. And I loved something you said the other day around listening. So can you just take us into the importance of listening and what that's meant for you and what that, because I actually think that's a spiritual discipline. We talk about prayer, we talk about meditation, all these other things, but listening is making space. Yes, correct. And, you know, for a long time, I think people have listened. I think listening is a thing, but I think it, it goes a little deeper than just listening because listening um, uh, is one thing, but listening with humility is another thing. Just to say that, hey, like, I'm going to hear you out and I'm not going to view this conversation with a filter put up. You know, think about uh, Instagram. Instagram's all about filters. And, you know, you can post a picture. And uh, when you post a picture, um, if it has a filter up, it's going to change the way um, that the picture appears. And so whenever we're listening and we have this filter put up, um, it would really change the way that we hear the things that are being said to us. And so I think along with empathy, listening with a little bit of that humility where we can kind of set down some of our uh, filters and just see it for what it truly is. And I think that is a way to um, tear down some of these walls that we have built up around different people groups in our country. And so I've had a lot of conversations with people and some, you know, people were, are like, hey, man, I want to listen to you. And I'm like, yeah, awesome. That's cool. And some of those people uh, haven't necessarily 
um, taken down that filter. And so it's just like me talking to a, a brick wall, essentially. And, um, you know, I again, like progress can't happen if we always view life from our own perspective and our own filter. And so I just think it's so vitally important that we take the time to listen, but listen with some humility and just say, um, you know what, like I, I have my worldview, but I, I just really want to set that down for a second. I want to hear, hear you and hear what you have to say. So I think that's so important. So why do you think it's hard for some people to truly hear well? Because, you know, we, have, we haven't talked about the difference between listening and hearing, right? Like you can physically hear the sound waves, but not really yes. get to the deeper uh, connection point of what someone has actually felt. Um, so what do you think blocks people? What do you think blocks us from hearing well? Yeah, I think it's has a lot to do with perspective. Um, perspective is shaped by the life that we've lived a lot of times. It's shaped by our family. It's shaped by our life experiences. It's even shaped a little bit by our political views. It's shaped by um, things we've experienced. And so for me, as a black man who has experienced uh, racism in my life, I've experienced um, some discrimination, some injustices. Um, that, those are things that I've experienced. And so those really shape my worldview. And so when someone comes to me and says, hey, I don't believe racism exists in America. Uh, that's, for me, it's, it's like a hard, I can't even, you know, it's hard for me to understand that sentiment because I've lived through it. And so, uh, you know, it's one of those things where, I'm, I'm, again, it's, I think those are the things we've been through, our family, all those background things can really influence those. And um, at, ultimately, at the end of the day, I think it's, it's our heart that, uh, that has major control over how we listen and how we respond to people. Are you up for sharing one of those stories maybe of what your experience has been? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So just to give you a little context, when I was uh, about, I think I was in seventh grade. When I was in seventh grade, I moved to a city called uh, Bartles, uh, excuse me, a town, not a city, a town <laughs> called Bartlesville. And I had lived in a larger city before we lived in Bartlesville. And so when we moved to Bartlesville, it is in the 90 percentile uh, white. And then it's like less than 1% African-American. So it was a, definitely a different environment. It was definitely an environment where on an everyday basis, you know, I'm in a situation where I'm one of a handful of people of color. So obviously the the whole setup was not in my favor to begin with. And uh, my dad was retired Air Force. Um, so we had moved out to the suburbs essentially to kind of escape the city. And, um, you know, for my parents to purchase a house and kind of retire in that in that lane. So we, we move out there and one of the neighborhoods that we happen to live in I believe we were like the only black family that lived in the neighborhood. And so um, it was a, a pretty nice neighborhood. So when, when I went to school for the first time, uh, obviously I, like I rode the bus uh, to school and then home. And so when I was going home, I rode the bus home. And then uh, as I was going home and the, the bus is dropping kids off, we get to the house that's my house. And so I'm right in front of my house and like, as I begin to get up out of my seat to like get off the bus, you know, the bus driver has this little thing and they open the bus doors and stuff. And so he saw me coming 
And as soon as he saw me coming, he like slams it shut, essentially in my face, and is like, "There's no way you live here. Don't go sit back down. Like this is not your house. Like wow. you're lying. Like, um, and you know, purely based off the fact that because I was black, there was no way that I was able to live in this place. There was another time I had a guy um, that his daughter was interested in me and I wasn't so much interested in her, but we were friends. Um, and she, uh, I guess uh, over a series of weeks or whatever that, you know, we had been kind of friends or whatever and talked, um, she, I guess like her, like her grades were like dropping and some other things in her life were happening that weren't, you know, based on anything I did, but just on her. And um, I remember we had just got home from church and this guy drives up to our house and he's like waiting outside and he stops my dad and he's like having a conversation with my dad. And I, I didn't hear what happened, but my dad later told me what, what the guy said. And basically the guy pulls up to our house, looks up our address in a phone book, pulls up to our house and he just uh, harasses my dad. And he's saying like, I don't want your daughter, I don't want my daughter to talk to people like your son and, you know, black people are only good for uh, murdering, stealing and, uh, you know, uh, gangbanging. And he's like, you know, you guys have a nice house, but you probably got it from doing one of those three things. Um, it was just, yeah, that was just like an intense situation. You know, I, uh, I always say, man, thank God it was on a Sunday after church because otherwise my, I'm pretty sure my dad would uh, um not been cool with that. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, who uh, of us would be, right? I mean, yeah. yeah. And, you know, several other things. I mean, you know, several small situations where I'd be in the lunchroom, people would be like, people would say, get out of my seat, nigger. And, wow. you know, I've heard it all. Um, and so I don't I don't typically get too upset um, these days when I hear it because I've heard it all. But, you know, it definitely it is hurtful. Um, but, yeah, I think I'm in a good place right now where, um, I've just been able to like kind of rise above some of those things. Sure. And I appreciate you sharing those stories. That's, uh, honoring us to hear some of your experience. One of the things that people then often respond with was, well, those were just a few people that you interacted with. What do we do when we want to talk about the systemic issues, right? That, well, hey, as an individual, I would never call you that. I would never think that about you. You know, I, you know, some of my, the, one of the people I'm closest to in the world is one of my friends from Africa, who's like my brother, who we named Timothy after, right? And it would say, well, I'm not like that. So I have nothing to do. I'm okay. What would you say then? What is the next step? How do we see on the system? Yeah. Yeah, that's a really great question. And um, I get this question quite often. And I think, you know, for me, I kind of look at just my personal story and just how blessed I was. Um, the reality is, is most black or people of color don't grow up in a home with two parents. Um, that's a huge disadvantage. You know, we talk about this word privilege a lot in our country. And if you don't, you know, believe privilege exists, like it, it's easy to 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 note and to figure out, like if you've had privilege in your life. And so I think it's just important we educate ourselves in that lane first of all, like what privilege truly is. E even though I'm a black man, 
um, I'm at a disadvantage uh, as far as that is concerned in America, but I did have the privilege of having two parents. So that's extremely rare. And um, that gave me a little bit of a leg up on uh, the vast majority of the black community or the black experience. And so, you know, when you kind of educate yourself on some of these things, as far as um, what, what are the um, system things that, you know, would cause people not to advance, um, it's just overwhelming in the state that, you know, most black people have to go through in order to advance or in order to survive, to be honest. And so um, I think it, it, some of it is just an education thing. A lot of people don't know about some of these things or practices that have been in place for many years, uh, redlining, different things as far as, um, you know, uh, ability to receive or get education based on the where you live, neighborhoods, um, the ability to get accepted into particular schools, the b ability to, um, you know, avoid going to prison. I mean, mass incarceration. Um, these are all things that kind of hold people back from advancing and especially people of color. And I think, um, you know, I, I just had the privilege of watching a documentary called 13. And um, it was super eye-opening because um, even some of the things I, like I hadn't even necessarily researched, but it just kind of dealt with and talked about, um, you know, after, you know, slavery time, you know, we were, were put in place uh, as far as us not slavery being illegal, but now like this new form of slavery, essentially, where um, if you're found guilty of a crime, then, you know, it's actually legal again to enslave someone so it's just pretty interesting and i think if unless you yeah again educate yourself and open your eyes to these possibilities you would you could say that you could just say hey there's a couple of bad people a couple of bad apples like we need to deal with them and not really um just see the the full picture you can only see your picture and so that's why it's important to open yourself up to listen and hear other people's perspectives because you can really see a more full view of what the world actually is instead of just like your own little perspective. Because sure, I would say most people aren't inherently racist. I would say most people, um, you know, don't, um, yeah, they wouldn't call me those names. They wouldn't do those things to me. But the reality is, is we live in a country where um, from the beginning it was set up for people of color to not be able to uh, succeed. And so um, it's really easy when you're not a person of color to not see it. And so it's important that you expose yourself to other viewpoints. And again, like do some education, ask somebody like, you know, find out some of what some of these resources and books, movies and documentaries mm -hmm. that would really educate you. I think one of the saddest things that I've ever um, knew was in. Um, so I went to high school in Oklahoma and in Oklahoma, you have to have Oklahoma history in order to graduate. Uh, it doesn't matter if you're a private school, public school. And um, one of the things that is not covered within Oklahoma history is actually the Tulsa race riots, which uh, is one of the you know biggest uh, massacres that we've had in our country so far. And uh, you know if you don't know what that is, 1921, um, Black Wall Street was located in Tulsa, Oklahoma, one of the most wealthy black neighborhoods in all of the world. 
and it's right here in Oklahoma. And so I guess like basically there was a, an event that, um, you know, uh, that kind of exacerbated the situation. And this one small isolated event um, caused a riot where uh, a group of white people came to the north side of Tulsa and burned down all of the black owned businesses, restaurants, uh, churches, and uh, this whole community was devastated. And to this day, it still has not recovered. But yet, we don't talk about that. And actually, if you go to the newspaper in Tulsa, it's called the Tulsa World. In the archive, on the day that the race riots happened, that day has been totally erased from the archives. Wow. It's the only day. Man. And so it's pretty interesting because, like, that's what I'm saying. Like, right. you know, you have to – If you, it's easy to, like, not know these things if you just, like – don't like gloss over it and you uh, eradicate the history books and all that stuff. So, yeah, it, I mean, I, I understand, but I, I just think that, you know, it's important that we educate ourselves on some of these things. You know, what I'm reminded of is in the book of Revelation, you know, this John writes this letter to seven churches and the book is anti-empire. It's all about the the unjust, corrupt system run by the emperors and for two of the churches, they're very oppressed that they um, they are being put in jail. They're being killed. They have no chance really to go forward, but they're remaining faithful. And there are these five churches that Jesus has issue with because they're comfortable. And if you asked one of the members of those churches, do you oppress anybody? They would probably have said no. But Jesus' mm -hmm. issue was... Your wealth and safety and security and comfort comes through the Roman military, through the Roman justice system, through yeah. the emperor. And so even though you yourself haven't put any of those members of the other church in jail, even though you are not on the front lines advancing the Roman Empire into other areas of the world through violence and, and um, oppression, even though you may not take part in the exact economic structures where they're using slave labor or whatever it might be, you are benefiting from it and are not in any way standing up to the system. So as, as, as you were sharing that, it just made me think of that, that for those five churches who heard that message, they were probably like, oh man, we're horrified that our brothers and sisters in Christ are being persecuted. And Jesus is like, but you are doing it through your participation yes. and through yes. your lack of saying anything. Yes, 100%. That's so good. I love that. And and I feel like that's a little bit where we are here. And and I don't think, you know, we're not, uh, at least for me, I, I don't ever feel like it's helpful to say, go forth and feel bad about yourself and feel guilty. But there is a sense in which we are called to repent. And when we do hear something and learn something new to make the change that we yep. can make, it's an invitation to go forward. And so I loved what you're talking about with listening, you know, kind of to, to draw back to the beginning of our conversation to truly hear from someone else's perspective that isn't yours. And I think it's going to make us uncomfortable, right? That's, I think, one yes. of the things is it's going to say, shoot, maybe I was wrong on something, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. And yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head there. You know, I think um, there have been a lot of people who've been complicit. And I think you know, really one of the things that we're seeing right now that I'm so grateful for is we're seeing a large amount of people who, you know, maybe a couple years ago when things happened were silent. 
when this happened. And uh, because, like you said, it is very uncomfortable. But I'm grateful for those people now that are, like, starting to be like, oh, wait, like, we need to, like, be on this train. You know, we need to say we need to be able to say, um, you know, black lives matter. We need to be able to not respond back. All lives matter. You know, we need to (laughs) we need to uh, mourn with those who mourn right now. And we need to um, understand that even though we may not fully be able to comprehend like what these people have been through that they are in a moment where they are hurting and that we see where we have been maybe complicit in the whole thing and so i'm i'm very grateful for this moment that we would find ourselves in because i feel like a couple years ago that was not the case people were not necessarily receptive i think you know anytime there's a radical um Anytime there's like a change or like a a movement shift, you know, at the beginning, it can really feel radical. I mean, think about for a second, um, there was, uh, you know, the issue with Colin Kaepernick. Um, Obviously, when he first kneeled for the flag, it's it was like it was a situation. I mean, people were losing their minds because it was like one of the first times somebody's ever like really openly did that. You see kind of how he as a person as a football player was kind of blackballed and kind of pushed out of the league just because he was outspoken in this way and so now you see um the you know the murders of uh, Ahmad Aubrey and Breonna Taylor and and George Floyd and now people are kind of like oh wait he was right like this guy was like trying to do something in order to bring awareness to it. And so you see a lot of people saying that now, even the NFL has issued a full, full scale apology for saying like, Hey, we were, we should have listened. And I hate for lives to be lost in order for people to actually listen. But to be honest, that's what it, you know, kind of takes. I mean, I, I think about the life of Martin Luther King and, he wasn't really appreciated in the moment. Um, if you look back, I was just doing some research. If you look back at you know the time he lived and read some articles about him, people were calling him a thug and people were calling him uh, one of the most dangerous people alive. And um, you know you see all the things that he did, but now after he's died, like you see kind of his legacy and you kind of see that man. He's like a he's a national hero. And so obviously many times like things and ideas aren't appreciated in the moment. And so, um, you know, there are those people that I'm so thankful for that were essentially martyrs that have went before us to progress the movement forward to bring equality to this country. So I just think it's interesting um, how, you know, when people make these moves to pioneer things, like it's important that we not just write them off immediately just because it's like a foreign concept to us just because kneeling before the flag wasn't a thing before now actually i don't know if people knew this or not but i love the fact that he was able to kneel because at the end of the day we live in america where we have the freedom to do so even if you don't necessarily agree with how he's going about it like we live in the country that people fought for us to have those types of freedoms and so it's just very interesting that people would kind of take it there, you know, call him a, a, a thug or, or say, oh, you don't respect the flag. I, well, actually, I think that that respects the flag because it's actually using it what it's for. It's, we're using it for um, to, to, to essentially bring uh, awareness to those freedoms that we already have. So, yeah. 
Well, I think that one of the things, you know, to, to go to the Colin Kaepernick thing or whatever issue we may be talking about, there's a tendency often when someone does something that makes us uncomfortable or that we don't agree with to go to an extreme and write off the whole thing. So to say, well, if they kneel, then they're disrespecting all World War II veterans. They're disrespecting everyone, you know, and, and we go to these two extreme places and miss the actual conversation that's happening in between. And I feel like yes. that's, I feel like that's got to be the work of Satan or the work of evil <laughs> or something, because I mean, yeah. that is to say there's a, there, there's a real conversation that could happen on these issues and people will look at things and, and say, well, let me put them in this box over here, label it that, and then I can shove it away. And when we label something in that way, we lose faces, right? We lose real stories. I mean, I remember before I moved to Israel, um, you know, we, we had been told all these things by the U.S. News about Palestinians, right? And about the war going on. And, 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 and people were labeled as quote unquote terrorists until wow. I went to a refugee camp where buildings had been blown up, where, where I saw what was happening on the ground. And all of the sudden there was a face. There was no longer just a label. There was a mm. face and a story. And when yes. you get that, You've got to have a certain level of hard-heartedness to see a face and not go to a different place of perspective and understanding. I think it, it makes it, I, I think then we, we, we can get rid of the simplicity of just labels and sides and see the complexity of story. I mean, how many of us hate when we're not heard or understood? And it's like, if somebody would just hear what I'm saying and get it, we don't like when it's done to us, right? Especially when oh, yeah. dealing with like a big corporation or the government or whatever. But but then that's what we do. And so I feel like the ins the the invitation of listening is to say, see the image of God that Ooh. is before you. That's you know, really C.S. Lewis I think has a has this has this beautiful image of he's like you know if we actually saw people for who God saw them as, we'd be tempted to worship them. <laughs> but, mm -hmm. but these are the same people that we kick to the curb, that we ignore, whatever. And um, I think in this time, the the rising up of voices, I don't know how we can ignore it anymore. Exactly. And I think, yeah, again, I totally agree with you. I think the power of story has the power to to change our world. I think that is the place where, you know, we can really lead from. I, I've been really impressed on my heart to lead from that way. I, a couple of weeks ago, I made a post and I just kind of like we just talked through earlier. I just kind of like said some of my stories, like some quick, like I've experienced this, I've experienced this. And I can't tell you how many messages that I got where people were like, man, like I never know, knew you went through that. And I just think it's so important, like, you know, instead of maybe I used to try to come at it from, a, you know, trying to talk about the issues and systematic change and all that stuff. <laughs> and a lot of times people wouldn't hear me. And I just was like, I think the best way to go forward is just to share what has happened, share my story. And there's been so much change that's happened through that. There's been so many conversations that I've now been able to have where people are like, oh, like I'm ready to listen to you. So I think you hit it on the head there. It's important that we um, share stories and that we talk about stories, whether you're a person of color or not. Like we share these stories of people like you know people 
uh, who've experienced discrimination, like uh, I've experienced discrimination. And so if if we're able to kind of bring that to the surface, like you said, I, I think it puts a face on it and it really um, allows people to see people um, the way that God sees them. And so, and, and it makes it less about like a, uh, like a political point or a topic or something like that. You know what I mean? That's probably why the Bible is full of so many stories rather than just do this, don't do that. It's interactions exactly. of people with God. So exactly. I, mean, I guess I would encourage people then to go listen to stories. I mean, like the movie Just Mercy, for example, whatever you think of capital punishment, that story will hit you. I mean, my allergies were coming up when I was in the movie theater watching that movie, man. <laughs> I mean, all of the sudden, a wave of allergies came over, right? No, I mean, I, I was bawling in the theater because it, it hit a certain point. But we, we, I think we have to realize that humility is not weakness. Humility doesn't mean that you're wrong and everything. Humility is none of us have the full perspective that we are all wrong. I mean, maybe, friends, you don't want to hear this, but you're wrong. And, and I'm wrong. And Chris, you're wrong. And I'm not just yeah. talking about specific issues. I'm saying there are things in life that we are wrong yeah. on. And when we will not read books by someone we disagree with, or we won't listen to a perspective, you know, that just means we think we have it all right. And I just know in Jesus' life, man, he was a lot more connected to the people who knew they had it wrong than the people who thought they had it all right. <laughs> that's exactly right. No, that's so good. And, so good. And, and this really is a justice issue, right? I mean... God, how frequently does God say, and, and I mean, to tie this back to spiritual disciplines and practices, how often does God say, stop bringing me your feasts, stop bringing me your sacrifices, if you're not living lives of justice. And that is the no. cry in our world right now, justice. It is. It really is. I love that Jesus was for the marginalized and for the person who would be least likely on paper to have a you know, place with Jesus. And so I think, um, you know, the people who find, again, that's like the beautiful thing about the gospel, the people that, you know, think that they have it all together and have like all the things like, you know, God saying that um, basically that, you know, it's not necessarily about you having it all together. It's about you realizing that you, without you, without me, that you're weak and that you need, have a need for Jesus. And so, um, I love that kind of, you know, kingdom paradox where it's not like the, the typical um, everyday American life type of paradox. It's like, you know, in order to be seen as favorable or high in the kingdom, you have to remain low and you have to remain weak. I just love that um, kind of shift. And so, you know, it's about laying one's life down, oneself down yes. and picking up the, you know, picking up the cross of Jesus and, and, and having that humility. So I love those points you just brought up there. That's beautiful. Putting on that servant's towel, right? That we're not called yeah. to have all the power and control. We're actually called to give it up. You know, one thing you said the other day and that you, you started to mention it a little while ago was saying black lives matter and saying all lives matter. Can you just take a minute or two and, and share with us why it matters, how we go about that and how one doesn't discount the other, which I think you understand what I'm saying. Oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah, you know, this is a very um, uh, frequent thing that has happened with me. Um, a couple of times I've posted over the last couple of weeks, you know, Black Lives Matter. And, um, you know, immediately the response has been from a couple people, um, particularly white people, has been All Lives Matter. 
Now, I think there's a couple of, um, you know, things we can hit with this. I think, first of all, you know, just by me saying that and anybody who says that, I think, you know, we know we have this idea that that all lives should matter. Like, that's a duh type of situation. Like, you don't really have to. It's kind of like a weird response. You don't really have to say that. You shouldn't have to say all lives matter to black lives matter. But people do. Um and um, I think also with that, you know, when we say Black Lives Matter, the, you have to go into the assumption that it means all uh, Black Lives Matter too, like also, and not that Black Lives Matter more or whatever. But we just want to be noted as that we matter and um, equal in the whole picture in the situation. I think there's a couple groups of people who say all lives matter. Um, you know, obviously there's a group of people that it makes them uncomfortable when people say black lives matter um and it depends on kind of if you're like older or younger like in what area you grew up in um you know people some people have been afraid of you know like a radical movement um that you know there would be like an uprising of <laughs> you know like essentially like a new panther party or something like that i think that makes people uncomfortable um, and, you know, for me, the reason why I choose to say that word is, is be, or that phrase is because I believe that it's on the heart of God that people who feel marginalized would matter. And so, you know, I think with anything in life, you know, there's groups of people within those certain things that, you know, there's, uh, I mean, like if I want to borrow from a couple of arguments that I've heard, you know, there's good cops, there's bad cops, there's um within everything there's good stuff and there's bad stuff so saying black lives matters doesn't you know automatically say that you have to subscribe to all these particular things or you know fall into a particular movement it's just a statement of fact you know that black lives truly do matter and if they don't matter to you that's totally fine but they matter to god and so <laughs> well so it should matter to you <laughs> yeah so I believe, like, you know, First John 4.20 says, how do you say you love God, but you don't love your brother? And so yeah. if you have a problem with saying black lives matter, um, then you really shouldn't be saying all lives matter because mm. black lives are included in all lives. And so, yeah, until black lives matter, all lives can't matter. And so I just think it's important to separate the two and just know that, you know, by you saying that it's. You're not making a political statement necessarily. You're making a statement based on humanity that I believe that my brother, my sister matter and that in this moment, you know, they're hurting. I like to liken it to if you were to, you know, go into a breast cancer awareness rally, you wouldn't walk in and be like, well, all cancers matter. Yeah. You know, when the Boston uh, Marathon happened and, you know, um, there was the tragedy you know, people were saying Boston strong, you know, when, when Joplin happened, the tornadoes came through Joplin, people were saying Joplin strong, um, you know, a coach in the NFL, Chuck Pagano got, um, cancer, you know, people were saying Chuck strong, you know, we, we don't like turn our eye at, at those things and say, nah, I'm not going to say that. We don't respond back. All cancers matter. Or all cities matter. Um, you know, because in that moment, that's the person mm -hmm. or the people group who are hurting. And I just think for black people, we've been in a continuous 400 year um, era of hurting. And so I think right now in this moment, 
people are now starting to maybe understand some of these ideas or become woke to some of this stuff. And so now that's why people are saying it in mass is because we have all these different things where, that we've experienced. And now people are wanting to bring awareness to, okay, we really need to rally around this people group of people and really help them see that they matter and that they're a part of this American experience. Amen to that. So friend, here at Rua Space, we talk about making space for the spirit, making space for our breath. And today, I think it's important we focus on not just how do we make space for our own breath, but how do we make space for everybody to be able to breathe? And so what I mean by that is people who have listened to this, where do they go from here? I know we can start with listening, go hear stories of people, go listen well, not to try and be right, not to try and convince them, but to truly see, can you understand what it would be like? What else should and can people be invited to do? Yeah. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, those first two things, obviously, yes, those are those are the starting point. I think it's important to note that right now, this season of life that we would find ourselves in, that this is the beginning and not the end. Um, that we are just now stepping into this conversation. And so just being and preparing yourself for the work that it's going to take to go forward to create this um, environment where people can be treated equally and, and fairly. I think there has been such a discrepancy in our American world of, you know, who represents our country, who it represents our world, who are our leaders in our in our society I think there's been a, such a disproportionate um, like discrepancy between um, you know people of color and 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 non people of color. So I think it's in this season really important to, along with those first two things we talked about, to really give some voice and give uh, um, yeah some space to some of those leaders who are uh, you know people of color. Now, when I say that, I don't mean just, you know, we need to create, um, you know, handouts or we need to create like, well, oh, we need a black guy. I, I'm saying give equal voice to those that are around you. Man, there's some great, strong black voices out there who are great leaders who can really, um, you know, add to the experience uh, what it is to be an American. And I think if our American experience is only um, essentially whitewashed, then we won't really get the full picture and the beauty of what yeah. God has created and um, allowed to be in this you know, environment. So I really think it's about elevating and empowering black voices right now to be leaders. And I think that that has like a two, two part um, benefit. I think, first of all, it's going to benefit the overall American experience because it's going to bring um, diversity and it's going to bring um, just different worldviews together. But secondly, I think it's going to improve the black community because I think it's going to give the black community and people of color um, people to look to as as leaders, as role models, people to aspire to be. I think, you know, one of the one of the saddest things is is for a black child growing up. I mean, let's let's just be real here. Most black children, the only examples of people who are successful in their eyes or their view would be an athlete or an or a rapper or a musician like that that's that's what it is yeah. and so it's powerful when we have people um like president obama come up we have doctors and lawyers and people who are um you know upstanding citizens and, and are doing great things in the community it's powerful when they come through because 
when we really co-sign them and we really bring them um, into the forefront, I think that it's also going to make a change in our black community that, you know, I've heard the comment, well, you know, well, why don't they just pull themselves up by their bootstraps and, you know, get out of the hood? Well, I, it's, you know, there's so much more to it than yeah. that. Like, oh, yeah. They, Not that simple. And, and I think that, you know, this is just a piece of it that when we do co-sign and empower and give space to black leadership, it really makes our community uh, want to aspire to do better and do something better. And I, I just believe that the way forward is, um, like you said, listening, it's it's having conversations, but it's also just giving empowerment to, to black people to, you know, that's why I've loved lately seeing um, companies in different um, organizations give voice to, you know, uh, these are some black owned restaurants, these are some black owned businesses that, mm. that people can support because, you know, it's one thing to have this conversation and, and say, yeah, Black Lives Matter and I agree with you and yada yada, but to really put your money where your mouth is and to uh, give you know empowerment it is makes all of the difference. And so I think that's how we move towards a more equal um, and, and more equality in our world is, is that we also give platform to those people. Yeah, I think that's all really, really good and helpful. And I hope people are hearing that and can see the opportunity at all levels of government, local, in your church, in your community, in your neighborhood. And I would kind of look to conclude with where's the role of God in this? What does it look like for us to turn to God? You know, I think of a uh, Pentecost, for example, when the Holy Spirit came and all of the sudden people were able to hear one another through the language barrier. And I feel like diversity, God created to be a good thing. But sin has sort of called to, or, or led us to, to look at people who are different with suspicion and fear. So what for you and your faith, what role does your faith then play in this? Yeah, the role that my faith plays in this is, I believe, where I kind of go to the, you know, the scripture in the New Testament where it talks about that we are no longer Jew or Gentile, but when we're in Christ, we're one. And I think that as the church, uh, it's always been my heart that the church would model this and, and really drive this forward, because I think in in order for our world to progress and to get better, I think that the church really has to model it first. And how many times in the past has the church been actually the biggest perpetuator of some of these things that we've talked about? Hmm. And when I think about this thought and this idea, I'm kind of drawn to that reality that when we're in Christ, there's no longer Jew or Gentile. So that reality. But then the second reality that I'm drawn to is uh, another passage that talks about, um, it's Jesus speaking, they says that they will know that you're my disciples by the way that you love. And so I just think that when we kind of come together and we have this realization that, you know, it doesn't matter, if, you know, we're a different race or different background, that we're all one in Christ, and that we can model this kind of beautiful unity and diversity, that that is such a beautiful thing. And that when we model that, actually our world can see, and that's a miracle in and of itself. And people can look and say, man, like, how is a group of people so diverse from different backgrounds able to come together? And it's only under the name of Jesus that that can happen. And so that's why I'm hopeful that, you know, we can move together is because of Jesus, because Jesus, to me, is the better way to go forward with life. Jesus is the better way um, 
to, to want to live like that. We want to uh, be, if you're a Christian, you, you're a follower of Jesus. The things that Jesus did, you do. So those who are marginalized, we, we care for those. Those who are hurting, broken, oppressed, like we care for those people and we give a uh, voice to those people. And so I just feel like the way forward is through Jesus. And so it starts with the church. It starts with us coming together, you know, setting down some of our labels and stuff like that in order to pick up this name of Jesus. And I think that people will take notice when we do that. I think people will see and they will know that we are true disciples. They'll know the existence of God through our love for one another. So I just love that that um, that kind of premise or that thought. And so I, I think that's where it kind of starts. And like I said, you know, this is just the just the beginning. Obviously, we are society is um, in in extreme deficit. We're, we're starting from extreme deficit, you know. I like to liken it to uh, a person trying to, you know, recover and be better with their finances. Like, you're not going to overnight just be out of debt. You have to make conscious decisions. Mm-hmm. You have to plan. You have to set up things in order for you to uh, advance. And so I think in the same manner, we need to really um, strategize and not just say, like, oh, we passed the law, so we're good now. No, passing laws alone won't fix this problem that we're in. It's only when we also address the matters of the heart. And I think Jesus is the one that can do the hard things that we need to You're preaching now, man. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Yeah, I think... uh... I, I think that's a, a really good call to finish with that I really believe that these issues, apart from the power of the Holy Spirit, cannot be resolved. That the mm. only way forward is is the church because yeah. as humans, man, with sin, we're always going to fall back to hating the other, to objectifying, to missing. And if the church loses or misses this opportunity, nothing is going to change. This is the call for the church to stand up, to see what's happening and say, the Holy Spirit has to move for this to happen. That as long as others cannot breathe, I'm not sure that we can either. So Chris, what would you, as a final word of challenge and or encouragement, what would you offer to people? Yeah, yeah, thanks so much again for having me on. I would say two things, you know, first of all, to, to my fellow people of color and, uh, you know, brothers and sisters, I would just say, man, that this moment, um, I, I understand there's a lot of people hurting. I know there's a lot of um, things and injustices we feel like we've led through, but I feel, I feel like it's important, like I said, um, for us to come to a place where we allow our hearts to be transformed, that we allow our hearts to love again, to trust again. And I know there are many things, we all have stories we can recall and all we have these things, but I just wanna say that there is a better way forward and I believe that that Jesus is that way. And I'm grateful for in this space that, you know, a lot of people are willing to, to start to listen. And so I think that, you know, if we don't talk, if we still have this kind of defense set up, that we could um, miss out on this opportunity to really come to the table and to really bear our soul. So I would just say, you know, trust again, believe again, and that, you know, let Jesus do the work in your heart that you need to be done. And I would encourage my people um, you know, my non-friends of uh, non-POCs, uh, non-people of color, um, my white friends, I would just say, man, um, just continue to, to, to live and to discover and, and to be open to some of these conversations. You know, um, I think in this moment, uh, maybe you've been silent in the past, but 
Uh, just know that silence right now could be more harmful than good. And even if you don't know the right things to say or the right questions to ask, by you just asking, it's going to do a lot more than by you not asking. And so I just think it's it's a great opportunity for you to kind of diversify your world, uh, you know, pick up some books by some black authors or some some topics that cover some of these uh, different things we've discussed. Uh, you know, watch some of these movies, Just Mercy. Uh, I watched 13th, which is a documentary on mass incarceration. Um, you know, many of these other things, you know, do your work and educate yourself and, and really put yourself in somebody else's shoe by practicing this practice of empathy. And then, like I said at the beginning, just allowing the work of the Holy Spirit to come in your heart and really help you um, see these things that, you know, maybe you didn't see before. I love when in the writer in Psalms says, search my heart, oh God, mm. and, and show me these things. You know, a lot of times we have things in us that um, we, ne we never even knew about. But, you know, and, and it's until the Holy Spirit can bring those to our remembrance and that we can um, really deal with those. So I, I believe it starts and ends with Jesus. But in the middle, there's a lot of work to be done because the Bible says faith without works is dead. So I believe it's both. Absolutely. And and if I may add one thing, I would say to my, my, my white brothers and sisters, you know, that this is an invitation to come alongside, not to come in as the savior, that we yeah. cannot have all the solutions. We're invited again to listen and to come alongside. Well, Chris, this is, this is a beautiful conversation. Thank you for honoring us with your stories. Thank you for trusting us with them. Thank you for uh, your wisdom, challenge and encouragement. I, I'm so grateful for your friendship and your time. Thanks, man. Appreciate you, dude. Hey friends, Phil here again. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode where I got to talk with Chris Griffith. I pray that you are blessed, challenged, and encouraged. Don't forget what you heard in this space while you were listening to this. Continue to pray about what the Holy Spirit might be leading you to do. Follow through on some of the actions of listening and taking those next steps so that God can continue to reshape all of us so that we may love one another well, that we may make space for the other. If you enjoyed this episode, we have many interviews with people on the podcast. I would highly recommend going back and listening to those. We have a lot of guided practices. We've done some really fun series. So go ahead and check that out. If you enjoyed this episode, also please leave us a review on Apple iTunes. It is a huge blessing to us. Go check out Rhythm Church on Facebook and friends. Let's be people of justice who make space for breath and for the spirit in our lives and in the lives of others. Grace and peace be with you.